on today's episode of the Real Foodology podcast. When you want to go over and see that baby, know that that mom was just born too. She, you know, the baby's not the only new person there. That mom is a totally new person. She wasn't a mom, you know, 48 hours, 72 hours ago. She was a completely different person. Go in there willing to help, willing to get your hands dirty, willing to do dishes, fold laundry, bring food. Do not ever show up to a new mom's house empty-handed. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. I am your host, Courtney Swan. I'm so happy that you're here. If you are loving this podcast, if you could take just a second to rate and review, it would mean so much to me. It is so helpful for this show. It helps me to get this podcast out to more ears. And ultimately, that is the goal because my hope is to help as many people as I possibly can with hopefully this life-saving information. So if you find this podcast helpful, please help me out. I would really appreciate it. So if you have been following my travels, I am still currently in Austin. It's really rainy and stormy today. And I'm not going to lie, I'm really missing LA. Um, I'm kind of oscillating back and forth between really enjoying my time in Austin and having a hard time. Um, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm an avid hiker at home with my dog. And if you haven't spent a lot of time in LA, you might be shocked to hear that LA actually has really amazing hikes and they're pretty close to my neighborhood that I live in, in, um, in LA. So I was going on hikes daily, you know, hour long hikes that have inclines and are in beautiful nature. Although I will say in the summer, everything's kind of burnt to a crisp. So it's not as beautiful as, as LA possibly can be. But then I come down to Austin and if you don't get out the door on a hike before 8 a.m., I mean, you're signing up for a walking sauna. It is so hot and humid here. There's mosquitoes. Uh, it's very flat. So I miss my incline hikes, you know, and I'm just not really, I'm not a gym person. Um, I haven't gone to a workout class since COVID, actually. Um, if you can hear that noise in the background, that is my dog currently trying to get my attention. Turkey. He wants me to throw the ball for him. Well, anyways, yeah. So I'm I'm having a bit of a time adjusting here in Austin. I'm going to give it a little bit more time, but, you know, I might head back to Colorado. Colorado is, uh, might be calling my name. I love the nature there. I love the hiking there. And I really do miss it. So we'll see. But I will say I've had an amazing time meeting really cool people. I don't know how this keeps happening to me, but I I feel like I, I just keep meeting all these really amazing people that it feels like I was just meant to meet them. Um, it, it's a little serendipitous. So it's been a really cool experience and I'm so glad I did it despite all the struggles and, and the hardships that I've gone through while being here. Um, I think it's uh, it's a good thing. So if you guys want to follow more of my journey in all of this and all my travels, please make sure you follow me at Real Foodology on Instagram. So today's episode is for all the mamas out there or mamas-to-be or um, hopeful moms. I have been wanting to do an episode like this for a really long time. I talk with Emily, who is also known as Mama Wilder on Instagram. I'm going to link her Instagram so you guys can find her. Definitely give her a follow. I think she's so amazing. She is such a powerful voice and such an advocate for women, which is really why I wanted to bring her on because we, we, I mean, we really dive into um, how the current medical system is really not great for women. Uh, we don't really have advocates for women. 
Um, we're often gaslit in medical situations. Um, doctors don't really listen to women. And we're basically told, you know, it's in our heads or suck up and deal with it, uh, especially when it comes to pregnancy and breastfeeding and postpartum. There is little to no support for women once she gives birth to that child. Um, I mean, you think about how our system is set up in in the U.S. I mean, we barely give any sort of time off from work. A woman's basically expected to just bounce back with her body and jump straight back into her work almost immediately afterwards. And it's almost as though we forget that the woman went through a really taxing time. Like it really, um, it's a it's like a small trauma to the body, you know. And and our bodies are super resilient and they're made for this, but we also can't ignore the fact that there is a lot that happened there and we need time to heal and we need a community around us and support. And we really dive into that conversation. I also want to say, um, we go into the topic of breastfeeding and we talk about the phrase fed is best. And I am very candid and honest with my feelings about it. Um, I am probably going to have some people that are really unhappy with me about it, but I I hopefully explained it in a way, um, in a kind way that that makes sense, and just just know that it comes from a really good place. It is not meant to shame any woman, and we talk about this too. That is the last thing that I ever want to do with any of these podcast episodes, and especially this one as a woman myself. I really believe in supporting women and just arming them with all the information so that we can make the best decisions for our own bodies. That's all I care about. I just want you as women to be fully informed with all of your options. And then from there, you can make the best informed decision for you and your body and your baby. And if that means that you end up formula feeding more power to you. This is, again, not meant to say, like, I only think, you know, it's this one way, and if you do it any other way, I'm going to judge you and I'm going to shame you. That is not at all what this is about. I just really want women to be empowered and informed because knowledge is power, you know? The more the more informed we are, the more empowered we are, the better decisions that we're going to be able to make for ourselves and our families, and that's all I care about. And that is uh, the message that I was trying to get across in this podcast. So I hope that that translates in that way. And yeah, I really hope that you guys enjoy this episode. I hope that it gives you a lot of valuable resources and information. If you are a mom, you're a mom-to-be, you want to be a mom, I'm really hoping that this episode helps you out with that. Guys, I just have to say, I feel so good right now. I shared with you recently a neurotropic that I have started taking before recording every single episode, and it really does help me. I feel like all neurons are just firing right now. I feel super on top of stuff. I feel like my brain function, my cognitive function is just like on fire in a good way right now. I feel very focused, and I have the perfect amount of energy And I feel like I can just really gather my thoughts and I'm going into another episode feeling super prepared. So this is what I took is called something, it's something called Magic Mind. And what it is, is it's this little shot. It has matcha, adaptogens like ashwagandha and turmeric, and it has neurotropics 
lion's mane, choline, and phosphatidylserine that help with blood flow and cognition. And then there's a tiny little bit of honey in there to sweeten it. I love it. It's just a little shot that you take. Uh, you can also turn it into a matcha latte, which is what I love doing as well. You can add a little bit of coconut milk to it, and then you have an iced matcha latte, and it's so good. I cannot speak highly enough about it. If you're in school, I would highly recommend this, or just everyday life, and you need to focus on your tasks at hand, I really can't recommend this stuff enough. They gave me a code to share with you, podcast family. If you use code realfoodology at magicmind.co, you're going to get 20% off please write me on Instagram and let me know how you're enjoying it. Today, I really want to go into just like how to advocate for women, um, breastfeeding, the health benefits of it, and really just anything you have to say that I don't necessarily ask you about to please just like throw it in. Because, you know, as not being a mom myself, I'm like, oh, I don't even know all the questions to even ask, you know? Um, yeah, so... Something, so I just, by the way, I love following you on Instagram, by the way. You're just such like an amazing, empowered woman. And I love that you really, um, it's like you just don't really take shit from people. You know, you're very like, it's cool. Seriously, you, because um, I, I can only imagine with some of the stuff that you say, you probably get a lot of pushback from people because I, I do similar things in a different um, realm and I get a lot, a lot of pushback and it's really hard to like stand in that, you know, and just take the brunt of shit from people. But I think what you're saying in your message is really important for people to hear. I think a lot of the pushback is from people who are wounded and I, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to moms, predominantly women who've already given birth and so many of them are traumatized from really horrible birth experiences or, you know, the immediate postpartum, which is the part after you have a baby. You know, we use the word postpartum to describe postpartum depression too often when in reality, postpartum just means after birth. So like in the postpartum period or experience, it's like the few months after birth, but well, postpartum is forever, but in the immediate, you know, those first few months, but so many women who, you know, will respond to things negatively and in a defensive way, it's because they're still healing. They're not over what happened to them. And so, and that's always hard to kind of navigate and tiptoe around people's feelings, but yeah, I think, you know, if you can work through that. And that's why I talk a lot about shame. Like if you feel ashamed or sh- like I'm shaming you, that's because you already feel ashamed of something. I'm not making you feel bad pointing out, you know, the health benefits of breastfeeding or the ingredients of formula. That's never to shame anyone. It's to just inform because knowledge yeah. is power. And then we can make different decisions in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel the exact same way coming from the food realm. You know, it's the same kind of thing. I'll just have people coming at me and being like, you're, you know, how dare you say that to people? You make me feel so bad about it. And I'm like, this is not even directed at you. This is not personal. This is literally just, I want people to be informed so that they can make the best decisions for their own body, for their own health, and then, you know, for their babies, their children. And how are we going to get past this if we don't talk about it? Right. We're never, it's like, and I think about that concept a lot with breastfeeding and formula. You know, there's this we can pretend all day long that there's no difference, that it's, it's, you know, breastfeeding and formula is on par with each other. But at the end of the day, if we want things like universal maternity leave and, you know, more breastfeeding support in hospitals, especially for low income or, you know, just black indigenous people of color, if we yeah. want those support systems, we need to acknowledge that breastfeeding is superior, that breast milk babies deserve breast milk, that we should work for that always. Um, but we're so, I think there's this coddle culture that yeah. we need to protect people's feelings. And like, no, no matter what you do, it's, it's, 
it's good enough. Like, yes, do your best and your best is good enough. But when we know better, we do better. That's all. Yes. Okay. So I want to hear what you would say to someone that says that um, fed is best because I have to tell you, and I can only imagine how you feel about this. That phrase really upsets me because I feel like it's almost like, um, yeah, it's just not, it's not telling the whole picture. It's not providing women with valuable information. Of course, we want the child to be fed, of course, but it's negating the fact that there are superior ways to feed the baby. And then we're not even having a conversation about it. And and you saying that is going to be so dismissed because you've never had children. And, and even me yeah. saying that because I breastfed my two children, people hear that and like, oh, shut up. You don't, you didn't struggle. You breastfed. It was easy for you. Actually, it was not. And my second child, um, she had a physical barrier to breastfeeding mm-hmm. and I struggled with her. And, you know, what didn't help me with my second baby was people saying fed is best. Would you say fed is best to someone who is in a supermarket and is an adult? Anything you eat is better than nothing. Well, yes, fed is not best. It's the minimum. We want a fed baby because the opposite of a fed baby is a dead baby. We want a baby to be fed. Um, There is a hierarchy of infant feeding. Obviously, breast milk at the breast is the best, is best for the baby. The mechanism with the areola, taking in baby's bacteria and, you know, reading the baby's saliva to determine what to produce in that milk, what antibodies to produce. It's so, it's designed so perfectly that yeah. women need to know that and they need to be supported in that because it's all linked postpartum health, postpartum mood disorders. I mean, and the, the, the support that we're experiencing in our own homes during this time is so crucial. I mean, I would be lying yeah. if I said that the support I had at my house or lack thereof played no role in my ultimate divorce when it did. Like I, I even wrote about it in my divorce paperwork that the way I was not supported as a new mom led me to leave because that's something mm. that shapes a woman and how she becomes a mom. We never forget that. We are, it is imprinted on us forever. So we need yeah. the proper support. We need, we need education. And if I didn't know what I knew, my baby would be on formula and she's two and a half and she's still nursing. <laughs> <laughs> never stop. She will be that kid. will be like driving a car. Mom, where's your boob? <laughs> But see, I love that. We need to normalize that. Because like you said, I mean, breast milk is nature's perfect food. You know, I mean. And there's, you can never, and you know this, we cannot create in a lab what their human bodies can create themselves. And if you can't produce your own milk at your breast or you need to pump, that's great. If that doesn't work, donor milk. And I think, you know, anytime I mention donor milk, people are like, that's so dangerous. You have no idea what's in it. I use donor milk. We, if women didn't share breast milk historically, humans would not exist today. I mean, donating milk, milk sharing, wet nursing, that is how this country was, was built. I mean, we look at the history, but that, and that's what my baby did. If she would not, I would not have continued to breastfeed her. And so many other women wouldn't have been able to continue breastfeeding if their babies didn't get donor milk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a really important component because like you said, you know, if we really go back to, um, you know, before like modern living, like women would pass their babies around and they would all help. And whoever had more milk would obviously feed all the babies. And we've completely lost touch of that. And now it's just like, you know, you have a baby and then it, it almost feels like they're just like, oh, you're having just the most minor struggle. Just put them on formula. And then let's not even talk about the fact that there's an incentive for them to put them on formula. 
I had a, um, I work in a chiropractic office. So I, we see a lot of families. We are, it's like a membership based clinic. So we have a lot of large families come in and we hear all the stories about, um, moms who have their babies and they struggle. And the first person they go to is the pediatrician. Well, the pediatrician, your pediatrician is not educated in lactation. They, they, they have maybe a couple hours of training, maybe not like a lactation counselor who has thousands of hours of training and clinical experience. Um, so they, these women go to the pediatricians and pediatrician says, Oh, they don't mention lip ties. They don't mention tongue ties. They don't mention food intolerances. They just say, here's some formula. I've got it for you. And God forbid she be a low income woman who qualifies for WIC because then you get formula and it's the oh. bottom of the barrel stuff. You know, I mean, I'm, you know what goes on in WIC clinics and the recommendations they're handing out to people. It's atrocious. Yeah. It's really and sad. It's really sad. And there's no, there's no education, you know, pediatricians offices, pediatric offices don't usually have a lactation counselor on staff and they should, I think they should, um, just like every hospital. Um, but the problem is these people go to these two unqualified professionals looking for help and the help just says, here's some powdered corn syrup solids and milk protein. Good luck. And then we're like, why do we have an obesity epidemic? I don't know. And then they try 75 different formulas because, you know, one formula doesn't vibe with the babies. They try a different one. I mean, I had someone today ask me, my coworker said, you know, she knows a a young 16 year old mom and baby was in the NICU because the cascade of interventions and we could go into that a different time, but Mm. it's all, it's all related. And so she was asking me formula recommendations. And I said, honestly, my, the formula that I was about ready to put in my baby's belly was not from America. I would not, it's from Germany. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one that I've heard that people are like, if you are just like at your wits end, this is the one to do. But it's $35 a box. And how many people can really afford that? It's so unfair. It's awful. It's so unfair. So what's the solution to this? Like, let's say someone's listening and they're really struggling. I mean, what kind of resources or what kind of people or professionals can they reach out to for help? So what I tell people um, is to just Google IVCLC near me. And that's going to be a board certified lactation counselor who's gone through training. Many have degrees, either bachelor's or master's in lactation. Um, and IVCLC saved my breastfeeding relationship with my daughter when she was eight weeks old. They can assess tongue tie, lip ties, so many issues that people run into breastfeeding, baby spinning up milk, baby not creating a latch or a seal around the nipple or the areola. Um, throwing up a lot, reflux, crying all the time, gagging, all of these things can be attributed to a lip tie. And it's, it's just where the, you know, we can go into midline defects. It's all relative, you know, relative, but it's just where the lip is fused to the gum or the tongue won't open up enough and Mm. push milk back from the, the nipple. So it's the lactation counselor can stick their finger in the baby's mouth and feel for this and say, okay, maybe a revision is necessary. Maybe not. Maybe just chiropractic is necessary. In my case and in many other cases, revision is necessary. And it's a simple lip tie procedure where they just laser, you know, numb the baby's lip and then laser it and voila, you're on your way. Yeah. See, and I feel like, I mean, I've never even heard that before. And of course, I mean, I haven't had children yet, but I wonder how many women listening have never heard that before either, because it feels like we're really not educated on this. No. And, and the thing is I had to bring it up to my kids care providers. And I said, mm-hmm. here's the situation. And, it, and I interviewed our physician's assistant before I even gave birth. So I knew this is someone who's going to 
agree with me and recognize that I'm the you know number one caretaker of my children. And I, my decision is the final decision. And so I came to her and I said, Hey, she's got a lip tie. I know what the solution is. What do you think? And she's like, I agree with you. I think this is something to try. Let's try it out. And sure enough, it worked. If I hadn't just taken the bull by the horns and gotten her in there to have that revised, she would have, she would have been on formula, honestly, because I couldn't afford donor milk. I mean, I couldn't afford driving all over town. Yeah, it's just, it's something that women, it, it is a lot of work. And I think back how lucky I was to be a stay-at-home mom because women who are working and who have to go back into the office, they can't r- drive all over town looking for donor milk. I mean, I was driving an hour each way just to get a, you know, a former client's breast milk. Like it was just so difficult for me. And I was educated and informed and I had resources. What about women yeah. who don't? That's just not it's not fair. It's really not fair. And it makes me so sad. I mean, the, the disparity in that, I mean, how, how do we fix that? I want to see a lactation counselor in every pediatrician's office. I want to have them have a bulletin board of resources, lactation counselors, pediatric dentists who will do tie revisions, um, postpartum doula support, like a board, a bulletin board in every office in the front. So people can look and get, you know, those rip off numbers and stuff of resources, support, and not just assume all the information they're ever going to get is from their doctor because yeah. doctors are so far behind on the time in the times, you know, with all the information coming out and studies and science. And if we're going to believe in science, let's believe in the science that says that breast milk can't be replicated. And yeah. we need to do everything we can to help babies get breast milk. I like to say that a baby has a right to breast milk and that trumps anyone's right to anything else, free time, work, whatever that baby yeah. has that right for to have the milk that was designed for that baby. Well, exactly. I mean, that's what's so cool about breast milk is that it's it's intuitive, right? It contains exactly the right nutrients and the exact right amounts that the baby needs, which is so cool. Um, and there's no way that we could ever replicate, replicate that in a lab. I mean, our bodies literally hormonally know what to do. And it's just a matter of yeah, I mean, getting the right resources and the right help for this mom in order for her to be able to provide that for her baby. Mm-hmm. And so much of it too, I think it's tuning out the the negative talk from other people because so much parenting advice passed on to us from older relatives or friends or neighbors or whoever else is so much of it is like cautionary and yeah. it's based on their own shortcomings and perceived failures. So, so often a mom will say, I want to breastfeed. And people around her will say, yeah, good luck with that. It didn't work out for me. I couldn't do it. Or I had small breasts and I couldn't do it. And you have to tune that out. If you want to, if you want anything in life, you need to tune out the voices from the people who tried also and failed. Yeah. And go in, you just have to go within and and figure it out, which is a lot easier said than done, you know? So I want to give women credit, especially like, I mean, I can't even imagine having just given birth. Um, having, you know, a brand new child that I'm trying to take care of, all the social pressures that come along with it, you're just expected to like bounce back and then not having any support around you, having your doctor basically say like, oh, it's fine. Just go on formula. There's like no support given for women whatsoever around this. Yeah. We focus too much, I think in the pregnancy period on baby gadgets and gear and stuff. And what we really need to focus on is support and meal trains. And postpartum doula, you know, postpartum doula is someone who'll come into the home and help with baby care and talk about breastfeeding and, you know, have numbers of lactation counselors that can come in and do house calls. And I think the pandemic really changed the 
the playing field for virtual support and in-home support because it forced people to to find resources and connect with people not necessarily face to face and that's you know i think about all the babies that suffered because of that but also how many women who are in my position who offer this as a service expanded their services i mean i had more people reach out to me for birth planning support when the pandemic started than I ever have. And it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So many women were like, I'm not going to give birth in a hospital in a pandemic. And they were going home. And that's kind of my, my specialty. (laughs) So silver lining there. I mean, that's amazing. You know, any way to get women, um, I guess like more in tune with this and educated on it. Um, Just because I want to make this as accessible as possible for people. So if someone's listening and they, um, really don't have the means or the resources to like, you know, hire a doula or hire a lactation specialist. Are there like books they could read, resources they can Google? Like, are there free ways to help them as well? Yep. So evidence-based birth is a great resource for when you're pregnant and you want to know how to, I would, this, and it all goes back to preparing. So if your end goal is a successful breastfeeding relationship, what you want to do is you want to avoid an an emergency C-section, truthfully. You want to avoid an epidural if you can, not because it's... I want to talk about all of that, by the way. But yeah, continue. It's all linked. So interventions in birth will can, um, I don't want to say harm, harm's not the right word, but can... um, Maybe the hinder... Hinder um, the physiological birth process and how that relates to breastfeeding. So oxytocin, I mean, all these, all your hormones, everything's related. So if we're going to go back and you want to prepare during pregnancy, how to have a successful breastfeeding relationship, you want to prepare to have a physiological, physiologically normal birth. And that's a vaginal birth, vaginal delivery, um, you know, maybe birth upright, talk about bonding, skin to skin, evidence-based birth is a really great resource. Type that into Google. Um, awesome. the womanly art of breastfeeding is a great book to read. Um, it's, it, it, the, it's just, it's a great resource for, for women. It's a, it's a lot of, a lot of lactation counselors have it in their lending libraries. So that's something that you can actually just order on Amazon, get a used copy. No big deal at all. Have that in your arsenal. Yeah. Um, Ina Mae Gaskin is a great resource. I'm not really fond of her politics and her personal views, um, but she's put out some really great literature about what normal birth looks like and how to facilitate bonding and breastfeeding immediately after birth. And that's Amazing. just a cursory, cursory glance. And, and right now, I think, especially because of the pandemic too, so many lactation counselors have revamped their websites and their social media presence. And there are so many pages that talk about breastfeeding and lactation and how to promote bonding and how to have a successful breastfeeding relationship. I mean, I can think of like 10 CLCs and IBCLCs off the top of my head who have really great, a great presence on social media for free. And it's all free information. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I just like to provide as many free resources as I can, you know, because I really want people to, um, yeah, I want it to be accessible for everyone, you know, and it's, I mean, it's part of living in the United States. It's really unfortunate is that um, basic like needs are really not taken care of here. No, but you know what? All of us have a computer in our hands. If you're watching this on a phone or listening to this on a phone, you have a computer in your hands. You can look up anything. And it's, you know, one thing that I've moved around so much. I'm a military brat, so I've moved a lot. And, you know, you just kind of have to put yourself out there and create a community for yourself. And one place I found as a mom now that I have children and I'm making mom friends, um, health food stores usually have bulletin boards. 
for like yoga studios and, you know, hippy dippy children's stores, those places, just meeting people. When I moved to Colorado five years ago, um, I had a nine month old baby. I was a single mom. And I Googled, I think the first night I got there was I Googled like holistic moms or something. Or I saw something on Facebook. It was an event put on by the Holistic Moms Network. And I pulled into the parking lot at this church and I had just arrived from New York. I just moved from New York the day before. And I pull in and I see this Honda Pilot like mine that had Michigan stickers all over it where I grew up. And I walked into the church wow. in this meeting and I said, who's from Michigan? And this mom named Brittany came over and she goes, me. And I'm like, oh my God. And she hooked me up with the children's store here in Junction where I live now, where mm -hmm. I ended up working and I... It was, you know, my OG influencer who taught me and put me on to unassisted birth. I mean, like, it's just, you have to push yourself out there and just yeah. network. And as a mom, don't be afraid to just ask for help. Hey, I see you breastfeeding your child. I have a question. I have a baby due in a couple of weeks, or I'm having trouble with my baby. I mean, moms are so desperate to meet other moms anyway. If someone yeah. came up to me and said, Hey, where'd you get your baby care? I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm going to spend an hour talking to you about it. Like, <laughs> like just I love it bite the bullet and just put, I mean don't be afraid to ask for help and and you know yoga studios health food stores um parenting resources like um natural parenting stores they usually have hookups with doulas postpartum support lactation support I mean that's I think about where a doula would find clients and that would be those places I love this. This is so helpful. And all I kept thinking about was when you're like in a bar bathroom, like a women's bar bathroom and everyone's just like your best friend, like helping each other. I'm like, I feel like that's like the mom community, you know? <laughs> it is. It is. And I like, I just, I think about how grateful I am that I grew up a military brat because it really did force me to, you know, believe in that philosophy. You bloom where you're yeah. planted. And I like, I don't have issues making friends anywhere I go now because I was forced to so many times as a kid <laughs> that as a mom, it's really benefited me because now I can go into anywhere and walk out with three different friends as moms. Oh, that's so awesome. And that's so important. You know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier where um, women used to really gather around each other when they would have kids and all like help each other. And I feel like um, in a way that we've kind of lost that, you know, we don't live as close together anymore people are so busy with their own lives. And so it's nice to kind of have that community of women around you. Absolutely. And we're yes, also, okay. yeah, like you said, we're also isolated. I mean, I started a mom's group here in town through the store where I was working called the village. And it was more for women who are not from here. Cause we have a lot of people on the Western slope who are moving here for work and don't have family. And so yeah. we kind of created this community, this monthly mom sign out for women who aren't from here. And it, I mean, the friendships that like, branched out from that, it makes me so happy to see them all post pictures together. I'm like, they all met at my event because I wanted friends. And now like how many people, I don't know. I, someone asked me recently, like, what do I do? I just moved to this town. I don't know anyone. I'm like, start a mom's group, start a Facebook event, host something, do it. Like put, if someone else isn't going to do it, you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I love that so much. Um, so I realized that we haven't even gone over this yet for, for some women listening, um, they may not know what the nutritional benefits are, uh, for breast milk over formula. Can we talk about that a little bit and why it is best? So have you ever Googled or seen a formula can? Have you, do you know what's in infant formula? Oh yeah. Yeah. But we should talk about it because I feel like a lot of people don't. So for anyone listening, it's usually the first couple ingredients are dehydrated corn syrup solids. Now, you and I both know that that corn syrup, not only is it corn syrup, it's sugar, 
Um, yep. It's from genetically modified yeah. corn sprayed with Roundup, which is glyphosate, yep. which is a carcinogen. First ingredient, right? Then it goes into cow's milk protein, which they're going to be conventionally fed raised cows, which are going to be in factory farms mm-hmm. and just continuously impregnated to produce milk. Their babies are, you know, we can go into the whole dairy industry. Injected with growth hormones and antibiotics and all the pharmaceuticals. Yeah. They're fed, you know, feed that's just going to fatten them up. Um, And then a bunch of synthetic vitamins that are not going to be methylated. So they're not going to be easily absorbed. Um, And so many babies have health issues responding to that and are allergic. And so doctors will prescribe hypoallergenic formulas or different kinds and the stress with finding a formula that's going to fit with the baby. It's like, I hear from so many moms will say, I just can't wait for them to be done having formula because I'm so stressed. Like Mm. that stress of trying to feed your baby is so it's crisis. It is a crisis. And when you can't feed your baby, I mean, like you can't feed your baby. What are you supposed to do? So for women to long for and to not be able to, I mean, to just think, I can't wait for this baby to grow up and not need formula. That is so sad to me that women are wishing that away when it should be such a beautiful year. So formula, formula is obviously made in a factory and we hear of formula recalls all the time. And we hear about arsenic and lead and all these different things. I mean, it's, it's not a perfect product. It's still a mass produced product, which means there's going to be room for error. Um, breast milk, on the other hand, is tailored to the baby's nutritional needs. So what's happening anytime a baby latches on breast, uh, the mom, the mom's body, the breast will read the baby's saliva and know what the baby needs, what viruses the baby's been exposed to. It takes 20 minutes for the breast to create antibodies in that milk after exposure wow. from baby saliva. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's so crazy. Isn't that amazing? So there are moms who, wow. myself included, will pump milk when their kids are sick and save that milk. Because if you look at it, it's oftentimes more rich. It's like a yellow, like almost like grass fed butter. Uh You save it, keep it in your freezer so that when anyone else is sick in the future, that milk is loaded with antibodies. That is cool. I've never heard that before. Wow. I mean, this is just, I say, I feel like I say this on this podcast all the time. Our bodies are so amazing. So I am actually getting ready to do another hair analysis with Honed. If you guys have been listening to this podcast for a while now, you know how much I love Honed vitamins and you know that I like to check my levels and see where they are. I recommend if you can do it twice a year, I like to do it every like three to four months, but that's not completely necessary. I think at least twice a year is really good. All you do is send in a little clip of your hair and then they send it off to their labs and you get results back from their labs that show you exactly what's going on in your body. If you have any heavy metal toxicity, where your vitamin levels are at, and really just what your metabolism is doing. And then from there, they can really advise you on which vitamins and nutrients you need. And you can adjust what you're already taking. So if you've been on honed for a while and they see that maybe your mineral levels are a little bit off, they're able to adjust that really quickly and efficiently so that we can get those vitamin and mineral levels back to normal levels. If you guys want to try it, please use code REALFOOD15. It's going to save you 15% off the hair analysis when you go to livehoned.com. That's L-I-V-E-H-O-N-E-D.com. It took me 10 years to finish my bachelor's degree because I was I got married and I moved around, moved to California. I mean, like I was just, I, and I had my kids. 
And so the last three years ago, um, before I finished, obviously, I I started out as like a political science major and I graduated with a BA in gender studies. And the reason for that is because I was so fascinated with the way that women are treated in our healthcare system, that there is a serious dichotomy between the way that men are treated and the way that women are treated. And I wanted, I, I took one class as an elective on women's health history in the U.S. And I asked my advisor, what else? I want to take more of these classes. And they said, if you want to take more of these classes, you need to change your major. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you've been doing this eight years. What do you mean you want to change your major? I'm like, no, no, no. I need this. I need this degree. I want to study this. And it was the most eye-opening. I mean, just the history of how women are treated historically yeah. in this country, and not alone. But when it comes to our healthcare system, I mean, the history with Cotex and tampons and periods and marketing, and it's all linked. It's all related. And it all goes back to trying to disconnect women from their bodies mm. and to make us fear our bodies and think that we need saving from the outside. That's all it is. I actually don't even know what the Cotex thing is. What is that? What happened? So, so Cotex got involved in a marketing campaign with a bunch of doctors, and they really marketed periods and period products as like dirty. And you need you need all these different because if you think about it, the period conversation and sex and birth it was all conversation ongoing between women and their families. Yeah. Eventually, they became a conversation between it became a conversation between doctors and their patients. And women were not teaching their daughters things anymore. They were just encouraged to get outside help. So it made periods dirty. It made it this thing where we need doctors to talk about sanitary napkins. It's just it, it, like, and it was all kind of like. It was kind of shrouded in like shame and secrets. Yeah, like I remember. Dirty. Yeah, like I remember I had a male pediatrician growing up and and he was wonderful. I don't want to say that I think he was doing his best, but still it was like, you know, I had this male doctor that would talk to me alone, like, you know, excuse my mom out of the room and be like, have you had sex yet? Have you had your period red yet? Flag, red- exactly. And it was all like secret and like hush hush. And so then of course, like I took that on as like, ooh, this is like weird and dirty. And like, we don't talk about it except for behind closed doors. And yeah, it's really sad that we do that. Hopefully now I feel like our generation is changing that with our children because we're so, I mean, at least I feel this way and all my friends, we're so like open about it. And we're like, I mean, this is crazy. We need to do it differently. But yeah, I mean, and and then you see it, obviously, I feel like women experience this the most in their like childbearing years, right? Because, um, you know, going to see the doctor for birth and then having no support afterwards for that. And kind of like what we've been saying this entire episode is that not really having any sort of conversation around anything or any real support. And it all goes back to that disconnect that, you know, our healthcare industry has spent a lot of money on and trying to disconnect us from our bodies and our natural healing abilities. I mean, I, I could talk your ear off about all the different things women are told about birth and giving birth and phrases like incompetent cervix or, um, you know, failure to progress, or it's just the, the way that we describe women's bodies when they're doing the most amazing thing they could ever do. And that's, it's so, it's so misogynistic and in our healthcare industry, I mean, we have the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate of any first world country. I mean, you go to Europe and you're more likely to survive giving birth in Europe than you are here in the States. And that, of course, has to do with systemic racism in our healthcare system. But the fact is women here, you know, we're the most advanced country on earth. Why are women still dying giving birth? 
And it all goes back to the over-medicalization of childbirth. I mean, it's a natural process. We're discouraged from understanding it from the very beginning. I mean, like you said, as a kid growing up, you're, you know, what your body does, your reproductive system is shameful. We don't talk about it. And that is something that myself and many other parents are just, we're breaking that cycle for our kids. My yeah. five-year-old knows what a period cup is. She's like, I'm aware of what a period is. Love it. I completely know. She got mad at me one time. She goes, you can't go swimming with me because you have your pad in. Seriously, mom. I'm like, <laughs> we're at the pool. You are five. I am mortified. But yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, it's so cute. I love that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just, it needs to be normalized. So, I mean, how, well, I don't know. I feel like I keep saying this, but like, how do we change this for women? You know, I mean, I guess it starts with finding doctors that will work with you. Um, I tell people this all the time on Instagram. Uh, if you're working with a doctor that says like, oh no, we don't do that. Or it's all in your head. Or I saw the labs. You're fine. It's just anxiety. You know, any list of that. Or like, this is a perfect example. I have a lot of people that, w- that will write me and say, um, you know, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z. And I say, you know, why don't you ask your doctor for um, blood work or go get your hormones tested? And they'll come back to me and they're like, oh, my doctor said no. And I say, find a new doctor. Yeah. I'm like, find a new doctor. Your doctor works for you. And I treat my, I see midwives for my feminine care. Um, which is my, probably my, it's probably my first recommendation to anyone who wants to, who sees what we're seeing. And it's like, I want to avoid all that bad stuff. Find yeah. a midwife. Um, you don't have to give birth with a surgeon and OBGYN is a surgeon. They are trained to a spot problems and B perform surgery. There mm-hmm. is a financial incentive for them to have your birth end up in surgery. If you want to avoid that, find someone who's not, um, going to make more money off your birth ending in surgery. For people listening, what's the difference between a midwife and a doula and what are they? <laughs> So a hi. So a doula doesn't. They're not trained medical providers. So a doula is someone who is there to support the mom and the dad um, emotionally and physically too in labor and birth and the immediate postpartum. Um, she's not checking a cervix. She's not putting her hands inside anybody. She is, you know, holding up hips and. She... Oh, hi. <laughs> hi. Hi, Shirley Temple. And she is um, speaking words of wisdom and she is uh, advocating for mom in birth, especially up against a you know provider that maybe is a little bit bullish. Um, but a midwife is going to perform cervical checks if, she, if the mom wants them. She's going to actually catch the baby when the baby comes out. She's there to oversee the medical side. So thank you. Yeah. You want to do that again? Have a baby? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> she loves birth. This is Iris. She's two and a half. Hi. She loves birth. Oh, she's so cute. She was born in this room, unassisted, by the way. Wow. That's really cool. That's impressive. Yeah. It's the highlight of her life. <laughs> I do. Um, but a doula is someone that you hire to go with you in any sort of birth setting. I recommend a doula, whether you're having a C-section or an unassisted home birth. I mean, a doula is someone who has a, she has a library of resources. Most likely she has connections with lactation counselors. She is someone who is a invaluable source of support. A midwife usually works either. She's a private midwife or she works, you know, she goes to home births and she just has her own space. Um, there's midwives in birth centers. There's midwives in, in hospital. She's trying to nurse right now. No boundaries. This is like the the wrong side of nursing. This is when you wear too long. 
Hi, Iris. Um, I mean, I couldn't have planned this better for this recording right now. You see the hands? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, anyway, so midwives are more, um, that's who I would re- recommend giving birth with, unless you yeah. know you have a medical problem going into it that you need a C-section. If you, you know, if you want to have your vaginal birth and have the you know, foundation for a successful breastfeeding relationship, birth with the midwife. Amazing. So th- this is something I'm super curious about for um, women that maybe want to avoid this. Are C-sections preventable? I mean, is that like, or is it really just? Yes. So most emergency C-sections happen because a care provider got, became too impatient and wanted to speed up the birth process. So the best way to, the best way to A, find out your likelihood of a C-section is to ask what the C-section rate is of the provider you plan to deliver with. That is your, that's going to be the the risk you have in ending up in a C-section. Most emergency C-sections, like I said, happen because providers become impatient and they don't want to wait for birth to unfold as it naturally would. That's what it is. All these interventions to speed up labor, to augment labor, to get mom's contractions to be stronger, to move things along faster, to break water, to dilate the cervix. Well, the reason that I ask that is because um, I don't know if if a lot of women know this. This was news to me when I was going through school uh, for nutrition. I had never heard this before, but you know, it's better for a woman to give birth naturally because when the baby goes through the birth canal, this is where they get some of their immunity from the women's bacteria, the vaginal bacteria. So yes. So now that we've known, we state that it's important to note that if you do end up in an emergency C-section scenario, you can still have what's called vaginal seeding. And that's where a Q-tip is taken, swab the mother's vaginal canal and rubbed on the face of the baby. And yes, I know it sounds disgusting, but if you think about it, that's Important. the bacteria that the baby would be exposed to should the baby be born vaginally. When yeah. you cut through the abdomen, they're not getting any of that. Yeah. And the bacteria on the baby, the vernix, the bacteria on mom's chest, all of that helps lay the foundation for baby's immune system. And baby needs to be exposed to that. They've done studies. Kids who are born by a C-section have higher rates of childhood illnesses than kids born vaginally. And the reason yeah. for that is they're not exposed to the good bacteria. They need that. Exactly. And that's why my kids are screaming. (laughs) I love it. Um, And that's why, and and again, you know, for anyone listening, the last thing I want is for any woman to come from this episode feeling shamed or anything like that. I just want, again, like I said in the beginning, for women to be empowered and to just know all the information because I didn't know that. And I feel like a lot of women wouldn't know that if we didn't tell them. And so it's just important information to have and to know. But yeah, and to not expect that your doctor is going to give you the full picture and to know that, yeah. you know, you are up against the whole machine. It's, it's you, one woman in the vulner- most vulnerable time of her life mm. up against a whole system. So, the, you know, women who come out of this traumatized and reeling and just, you know, they've experienced the birth that they didn't want. It's not their fault. Yeah. I mean, you, it's the, the, the system is designed to be exactly what it is. And the system is designed to be profit-based, profit-focused, and it's designed to disconnect women from their bodies. And so you, so often, you want to trust your doctor has your best interests at heart. You want to trust that they are, you know, they really care about you. They do not. I mean, for the most part, I mean, the system, the system doesn't care about you as a person. Your individual doctor probably does, but the system as a whole, you're just someone on a conveyor belt. And, you know, you have to kind of get, so many people have to get off that conveyor belt and look at it from a different perspective and think, wow, 
that happened to me, that was not my choosing. This is, I'm up against an entire, you know, like David and Goliath. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was so well put. It's, you know, one woman against the system, which is really sad. It's really sad. And for me, I was 22 and I had my first child and I was on Medicaid. I was a single parent in upstate New York and I had a hospital birth and I had a non-medicated vaginal delivery breastfed. I mean, it was as good as it could get. And so it actually, it wasn't until I had my unassisted home birth a few years later in Colorado that I realized, wow, I got really lucky with my hospital birth. The fact that I had a good hospital birth and I didn't end up in surgery as a young single mom I was really surprised. That's not normal to go into that at such a disadvantage economically and, you know, socially and to come out of it, having a birth that I wanted, I realized I got really lucky. And so that's why I threw myself into birth education and birth work and helping women have better birth experiences, because I know I got through this and I did. Okay. I want to make sure other women come out of this. Okay. Too. Yeah. That was actually going to be my next question. So what what can women do in order to set them up for the best success that they can have through this whole process? If your goal is to breastfeed, if your goal is to have a vaginal delivery, I would say seek out a midwife. A, you know, I, I'm a proponent for home birth, but I totally understand why people seek out hospitals. I had a hospital birth too. I'm not, you know, I'm not just the only, I don't just deliver on the side of the road because I want to, like <laughs> I, I've seen it. I've done both. Um, yeah. Call up a midwife, hire a doula. Um, talk to, you know, find your resources before you need them really start from the beginning. And if money is a factor, instead of having a baby shower or people bring a bunch of gifts, you're going to use once or get rid of in six months. Number one, you can buy all that stuff used from other people or get it donated to you. Everyone loves to get rid of baby crap. I have three black garbage bags full of baby stuff. I need to give away. There's always baby stuff coming down the pipeline, but, um, yeah. crowdfund for a doula or a home birth midwife, or even, you know, there's midwifery groups in hospitals. It's just a different, the midwifery model of care is different from the obstetric model of care. Mm -hmm. It's just, they look at women differently. You want to know how a doctor feels about women and about women's bodies. Ask your OB how they feel about midwifery and what they say will tell you everything you need to know. If they disparage it or if they say, oh, that's just dangerous. I would fire them yesterday. Wow. I mean, that's really good advice. I think so my next question is for people listening who have maybe friends or family having kids, how can they support the mother? Excellent. The I'm glad you asked that. Yeah. So yeah. the best thing you can do is your time. Um, when you want to go over and see that baby, know that that mom was just born too. She, you know, the baby's not the only new person there. That mom is a totally new person. She wasn't a mom, you know, 48 hours, 72 hours ago. She was a completely different person. Go in there willing to help, willing to get your hands dirty, willing to do dishes, fold laundry, bring food. Do not ever show up to a new mom's house empty-handed, whether it's coffee, whether it's groceries, whether it's toilet paper, paper towels, you know, plasticware, oh dishes, whatever. Never show up empty-handed and don't expect to hold the baby and just say, you know, I'm here if you want me to hold the baby, but what do you need to get done? When I go visit a new mom, I bring over a meal. I bring usually I bring like a big pan of food for that night, maybe lunch the next day, baked goods, salad, fruit, juice, something that's caloric and mm -hmm. will sustain them. And it's one less thing for them to worry about. Um, and I don't worry about bringing flowers or baby gifts. And some people like that stuff. Personally, for me, what I like and what I do for other moms is I show up with something they need. Yeah. I'm willing to do, I'm like, what do you need to get done? All those dishes in the sink? I'll do them. You want to go take a shower? All right. If you, if you want the baby to be held, I'll put the baby in a carrier 
and don't show up wearing perfume. That's like my number one thing. Oh, yeah. When you go visit a new baby, don't wear perfume, don't wear glitter, don't wear anything super smelly because nothing irritates a new mom more than getting her baby back from someone and smelling her newborn's head and it smells like Estee Lauder. (laughs) It's the worst. Not only are those endocrine disruptors, but and you know, but nobody just wants to smell her baby's head and smell their grandmother. And the mom's probably extra sensitive with all her hormones and stuff to sense anyways, as I can probably imagine, you know? And it's all, you know, breast milk and everything. All that breast milk production is linked to touching your baby and smelling your baby. You want to smell your baby's head. That's how you will create more milk. Yeah. Amazing. So is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is really important for people to know? Just know that there's people that are going to infiltrate the system and do something about it. (laughs) I was, I was, I was hesitant to go to grad school and I was accepted into my number one, actually my dream school for um, my MPH. And so that's something that I'm really excited to pursue. Yes. So I'm, I, you know, done the doula thing. I've done the birth coach stuff. And I, I'm like, you know what? I, I think I have the guts to go in and just full steam ahead and see how I can mess shit up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is why I love you so much because I believe that you're going to do it. You're going to go in and wreak havoc on the system and we need that so yeah, bad. We so need it. And we, you know, I think there's certain, there's certain personalities that are really great doulas and really great midwives and birth support people and doctors who are super caring and patient. And then there's other people who are ball busters and, you know, Enneagram type eights and Virgo, Virgo sun, Aries moons who are like, no, we're going to go in there and we're going to just like, we're going to take over. I love it. Well, I'm a Virgo, but I'm a Taurus rising. So, but yeah. So you you got it. You've got it too. You're good. Yeah. I got a lot of earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this will probably be helpful for other mothers listening, but this is more of a personal question for you that I ask everyone. Um, what are your health non-negotiables? So I know you're super busy with your kids. Um, you probably don't have a lot of time to yourself, but what are things that no matter what you do in order to stay sane, take care of your health, take care of yourself? Something that keeps me really sane is um, I we go outside all the time. So we live in a condo. I don't have a yard. I used to live in a farm before my divorce, but I take my kids out hiking all the time. And it's it's good for them. It gives us yeah. physical space because they can go roam and do their own thing. But I can just walk and trek and you know we get our vitamin D, we get our fresh air. It's just, it's freedom and it's, being outside in nature is super grounding for me and yeah. you know, my adaptogens and I, I, my non-negotiables would be like outside time. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't try to use stimulants like coffee. I really don't rely on that. And that changed my health. I had fertility issues and hormonal issues that I healed myself. Mm. So coffee is one of the things that really, I learned, like I can't, I can't do it. And I think moms are marketed coffee and so and wine so much yeah. that those are two things that for a lot of us, really don't help us, but we don't, we don't want to admit it or even like deal with it. We're like, I don't care what it does to my skin. I need my coffee. <laughs> right. I mean, it's true. It's, um, wow. Well, this has been so amazing for people listening. Where can they find you? Instagram mama wilder. That's me underscore wilder. Thank you so much for coming on today. This was amazing. I'm so excited for people to hear this. Thank you for having me. This has been so awesome. And Iris says bye too. (laughs) Bye, Iris. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resident media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie, spelled with a J. Love you guys so much. See you next week. Bye.